Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Glad to be back with you for another two hours. Talking about, well, what are we talking about? We're talking about the greatest commandment. Certainly one of the things that matter most. Peggy Stanton on with me. This Sunday's Gospel reading, the Pharisees asked Jesus what commandment is the greatest. But if you notice, he doesn't name any of the ten Rather, he names the greatest commandment, the commandment of love. So Peggy Stanton joining us to look at the gospel reading for this Sunday. Terry Mattingly from Get Religion will be joining us. You know, in the weeks since the Hamas attack, the October 7th attack in Israel, many mainstream newsrooms have struggled with how to refer to Hamas. Um, Are they terrorists? Are they militants? Are they freedom fighters? Are they an extension of the government of Hamas? In other words, are they a a military? And there's really an underlying problem that many in the mainstream media have. Uh, They tend to see the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as simply a political story about real estate. But at the core of it is a religion story. It has to do with sacred sites in the Holy Land. It has to do with the idea of a promised land. And so Terry Mattingly will be, again, taking a look at how the secular press is trying to handle reporting on this conflict in Israel. And then in the second hour of today's program, we'll be joined by Dr. Andre Villeneuve, Associate Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. Earlier this week, we talked... Um, about the Jews and the promise they had, uh, based on the covenants, that they would um, have this land. And in Nostra Aetate, the Vatican II document on religions of the world, we read that God holds the Jews most dear for the sake of their fathers. He does not repent of the gifts he makes or of the calls he issues. So go back and let's continue on with this theme. What are these gifts, and what was the promise? Well, there was a promise of the land. What does that mean for Catholics today? I can remember when uh, Benedict XVI was asked about the promise of the land to the Jewish people. Uh, His answer in short form was, if it's a matter of great concern to you, it's a matter of great concern to us. So we're going to be taking a look at it coming up in the second hour of today's program. But first, let's get today's headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Thursday, October 26. It's the Feast of St. Alfred the Great. Today's news brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing loving care and assistance to seniors in need at visitingangels.com. Authorities in Maine say they're getting help from area states to help track down the mass shooting suspect who killed 18 people and injured 13 others last night in Lewiston. 
Mike Schauschuk is the commissioner of the Maine Department of Public Safety. Uh, tactical teams, evidence response teams, uh, full-blown investigative units, detective units uh, that have come from multiple states, uh, whether it's the commissioners from uh, Vermont and New Hampshire reaching out to me directly, Massachusetts saying, what do you need, Mike? What can we do for the state of Maine? Officials from the FBI, ATF, along with New Hampshire State and Massachusetts State Police are among those assisting in the investigation. 40-year-old Robert Card is considered armed and dangerous, with residents in the area asked to continue to shelter in place. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel is preparing for a ground invasion of Gaza. Netanyahu made the statement yesterday in a televised speech, saying he wouldn't elaborate on when or how many. About 360,000 Israeli reservists are at the border with Gaza awaiting orders. A tentative contract agreement has been reached between the United Auto Workers and Ford. The four-year contract needs to be ratified by the 57,000 UAW employees of Ford, and Union President Sean Fain says they've won things at the deal that no one thought possible. Everything we did at the bargaining table, every extra $100 million we got the company to give up, was because of you, the members. Under the deal announced yesterday, wages will go up 25%, along with annual cost of living increases that are put the pay raise to over 30%. The deal means a top-scale assembly plant worker will make over $40 an hour by the end of the contract. From your Ave Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. I was looking over the... Uh, Anti-Defamation League blog. We used to call it the Jewish Anti-Defamation League, but I think they like to go by just ADL now. And as you might expect, they're monitoring uh, anti-Semitic attacks and conspiracy theorists. And they point out that as these deadly assaults on Israel continue, extremists, anti-Semites, and conspiracy theorists are flocking to online spaces to cheer for Hamas to threaten further violence against Israel and the Jewish people worldwide, and floating some absurd, often anti-Semitic conspiracies about, quote, the real perpetrators or cause of the terror attacks. Uh, some white supremacists, for instance, are celebrating Hamas's attack on Israel. You've got the chairman of the anti-Semitic National Justice Party, Mike Penovich, posted on Telegram, hats off to the Palestinians for taking bold and courageous action in their own cause and showing us that the Zionist regime is not invincible, end quote. He called out right-wing nationalists, who he says are not actively celebrating the attack, and he's demanding, who's paying for you? Who are you afraid of? Nathan uh, D'Amigo, the founder of a, well, what is now a defunct supremacist group, uh, Identity uh, Europa, wrote on his channel, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And Hamas really took uh, to the took it to the next level. Meanwhile, you've got uh, another white supremacist uh, leader, the, the, the organization New Jersey European Heritage Association, complained that the attack will result in a new batch of migrants coming to the in America. Privileged supremacist Jews fleeing chaos they provoke, like the cowardly rats they are, they will immediately jump to the head of the line. Uh, John Menadeo, the leader of the anti-Semitic Goim Defense League, uh, posted, Palestinians are killing the synagogue of Satan. God bless these brave men of Palestine. Um, 
I can't read some of the other things that are posted here. Uh, the ADL also looks at um, communications channels associated with the Islamic State. Okay, They're calling for violence against Israel and its supporters. Uh, it's interesting that the Islamic State views Hamas as theologically illegitimate. But yes, the Islamic State writers express joy at seeing Hamas attack Israel. Uh, one Islamic State supporter posted on Telegram, quote, The operation in Palestine today is just another of Allah's wonders. You've got other storylines uh, from jihadist groups characterizing the Hamas terrorists as martyrs, hoping for additional casualties, who see the conflict as a sign of end times to come. Um, it, it's This is not, I have to say, this kind of language... Uh, I don't come across it in my own experience very often. Uh, th- this kind of hostile anti-Semitism um, just doesn't percolate in the circles where I uh, sit. But on social media, you can easily find it. Uh, so you've got anti-Semitic rhetoric spiking across social media platforms, particularly on extremist favorites, 4chan and Telegram. And this includes a rise in the use of phrases that call for violence against Jews, against Israelis, against Zionists. Um, you, you, well, data shows that extremists appear to have been emboldened by this Hamas attack. So what they do is they increase their violent rhetoric. They post more hate-filled messages. They call for further aggression against Israel and its supporters. The day before the attack, there were 59 telegram messages from extremist threats and calls for violence against Jews, Israelis, and Zionists. However, in the first 18 hours of October 7th, the day of the attack, this number surged up to 347 telegram messages. You know, 59 to 347, that's uh, an increase of approximately 500%. Uh, There are also posts in which anti-Semites and white supremacists discuss hopes of similar future violence against Jews in America. Uh, It's all the language of hate. Um, And what's frustrating about it is that groups of this sort do try to exert influence in certain conservative circles. Uh, And so there is a need. There is a need to be explicit and to push back. So I was glad to see that the Franciscan University of Steubenville and the uh, Philos Project had already scheduled uh, a historic conference dealing with uh, Nostra Aetate and the future of Catholic-Jewish relations at a time of rising anti-Semitism. This was scheduled to coincide with the fifth anniversary of the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, where an anti-Semitic murderer took the lives of 11 people and injured six more as they were worshiping on October 27th of 2018. They're right there in the synagogue. Uh, I said, co-sponsored by uh, Franciscan University and the Philos Project, it's uh, being live-streamed. It's going through October 27th uh, through tomorrow. Oh, actually, excuse me. Uh, it's closing today, uh, but you can get go to Franciscan's website. I'm sure they've got places where this has been streamed and also deposited. Um, started on the 24th, 25th, 26th. There you have it, three days. 
they're they're aiming at again basing they're they're reflecting on the Second Vatican Council's teaching on our relationship with the Jews. It's found in the document Nostra Aetate, and uh, many Catholics hoping, following the lead of our recent popes, to bring the relationship between Catholic and Jews to a, a again uh, a more solid level. Uh, and these attacks that we're seeing going on in the Middle East give us good reason to make our efforts a little more urgently. Um, you know, this is one of those situations where you say to yourself, how, how is this possible that Catholics would somehow still be influenced uh, by anti-Semitism? Again, the teaching of the Church is so abundantly clear on this. Uh, if you look at just the basic structure of the New Covenant, the New Testament, Jesus is a Jew. His mother and father are Jews. His apostles are Jews. You know, you've got St. Paul, the, the great contributor uh, to the New Testament, and he's Jewish, and he's proud of it. And he, in Romans chapter 9 through 11, he has an extended discussion about what is God's relationship with the Jews now. Because at that time, St. Paul was having a difficult uh, task. He, he, he'd go to the synagogue. When he'd go into a town, he'd go to the synagogue first. And frequently, he'd be kicked out of the synagogue. So at that time, there were many Jews who were rejecting uh, St. Paul's claims about Jesus. But at the same time, there were many who were, in fact, coming in to full communion with Christ himself. So you did have a, quote, messianic Jewish movement there uh, in the first century. And you hear people sometimes say about the the failure of the mission to the Jews in the first century. I'm not sure there's any failure at all. I mean, there were a tremendous number of the Jewish people who, like St. Paul, who came on board and saw this new messianic movement as the real thing. So we shouldn't make too much of this. And unfortunately, throughout Catholic history, including some of the fathers, too much was made out of those Jews in the first century who rejected Christ and who gave the Romans uh, opportunity and pretext uh, to kill him. But the, the teaching of the Catholic Church is, is clarified and abundantly clear in Nostra Aetate that we are not to attribute to the Jewish people uh, any, um, uh, any personal fault for the actions of a few uh, in the first century. Again, some of these things are, may seem obvious uh, to you, but I hear time and again that this has, these kind of things have to be repeated. The Catholic faith goes back to the patriarchs. Uh, it goes back to the prophets of ancient Israel. Uh, John Paul II uh, and other popes have uh, personal friendships and devotion to people of the uh, uh, old co older covenant. Right? So uh, I'm glad to see, again, Steubenville taking leadership in this conference. And again, in the providence of God, it happened to be called for just uh, you know two weeks after this massacre from October 7th. Uh, it's true some Catholics in the past 
and some notable Catholics have been blemished by anti-Semitism. Um, I don't think, well, I won't say, because I don't know. What we do know, though, is that groups like Hamas will actually speak. I'm, I'll give you a quote here. The Jews are the most despicable and contemptible nation to crawl upon the face of the earth. This is the kind of language that was used in Germany and in other areas of Europe in the first half of the of the 20th century. Uh, that's we we also should remember that as crazy as it sounds. Nazis believed that they were leaders in scientific research into race. They practiced what was called at the time racial science. It's true that uh, even as they were practicing racial science, the mainstream scientific world was considering it bogus. It was it was big uh, early around in the 19th century, a big effort to racial science and to figure out who are the higher races and all this stuff. By the time the Nazis are using it as a pretext for their hatred against the Jews, uh, the scientific world has pretty much come to reject so-called racial science. But uh, the this effort uh, by the Nazis to eliminate the Jewish people from Europe was... <laughs> was urged on by Muslim leaders and very little time is spent pointing out the relationship between Hitler and another of the mainstream leaders in what we now call the Islamic world. I'm Al Cresta. Stay with me. we got more coming up. How can we, mere mortals that we are, call God our Father? The Catholic Catechism says we can do this because His Son, who became man, has revealed the Father to us, and because His Spirit makes Him known to us. When we pray to the Father, we are in communion with Him and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We come to know and recognize Him with an ever-new sense of wonder. The first phrase of the Our Father is a blessing and adoration before it is a supplication. We can adore the Father because He has caused us to be reborn to His life by adopting us through baptism. He incorporates us into the body of His Christ. The free gift of adoption requires conversion on our part. Praying to Our Father should develop in us two fundamental dispositions. Number one, the desire to become like God by responding to His grace. Number two, a humble and trusting heart. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Dr. Ray Garendi. If I discipline consistently, I'd be disciplining constantly. If I were consistent in my discipline... That would mean I would discipline more, and I'd be disciplining him often. The exact opposite is the case. More consistent discipline leads to less constant discipline. Why? Because you're predictable. The child knows if he does A, you'll do B. That is why when you are predictable in your authority, you will actually have to use that authority less. Consistent discipline leads to less 
constant discipline. The more you act when you need to act, the less you will have to act in the future with similar misbehavior. He is only one of four popes honored as the great. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Leo I was pope at a time when Roman civilization was being overrun by barbarian armies. He stood as a light in the darkness and even saved the city of Rome from destruction by Attila and the Huns. Leo died in 461. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Finding health care for yourself and your family can be isolating and confusing. That's why the Catholic Health Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering Christ-centered health sharing for individuals and families, along with new wellness services to help heal and restore your whole person, spirit, mind, and body. Visit cmfcuro.com to find out more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and His gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now, Terry Mattingly. He's the editor of Get Religion, and he writes the nationally syndicated On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate. He's a senior fellow at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi, focusing on religion, news, and the First Amendment. You can visit, get in his follow his work at getreligion.org and tmat.net. Terry, good to have you back here. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thank you. What do you observe in the mainstream media as they began reporting uh, immediately after the October 7th attacks? Well, I mean, there, there's, gosh, there's almost nowhere to start. I think to some degree, we're watching another case where we're having people struggle to separate the Palestinian people and the interest of the Palestinian people and the organization, the military and political organization that is Hamas. And it's very important for people who are reading the news right now to realize that Hamas is not the same thing as the Palestinians' people. Uh, I think to some degree, all conversations of the press coverage start with the now infamous New York Times headline after the tragedy near the hospital in Gaza the other day. 
And that, of course, was the headline that said Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, comma, Palestinians say. Yeah. What's really yeah. fascinating is that you look back at that headline and there isn't a single thing in it that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah. There isn't a single word. And that this is the headline that went out all over the world, uh, along with others. BBC had a headline that was very similar. But I think that people are confusing condemning the actions of a terrorist group that in many ways is the enemy of the rights of the Palestinian people or the future of the Palestinian people, confusing the action of Hamas in this raid, in this blitz, with the actual debates about the future of the Palestinian people. And I have, on Twitter, I phrased the question this way, and I think this will help our listeners. Is this, is a Seeking a two-state solution to the Palestinian-Israeli problem is seeking a two-state solution, currently liberal or conservative. Because I don't think there's much doubt, based on the evidence, that the timing of the Hamas raid was an attempt to cut off the talks between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it certainly looks that way. Yeah. And... Obviously, no one would say that a treaty between Israel and Saudi Arabia immediately produces a two-state solution. But I think everyone would say it makes a more stable region that helps promote a two-state solution. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of, lots of work still to be done. Yep. So if Hamas was attempting to derail a two-state solution, why are people who think of themselves as liberals on, in Hollywood and academic campuses, in elite newsrooms, why are they having trouble condemning the actions of this raid and confusing that with support for the long-term interest of the Palestinians? Palestinians, and I would stress, both Muslim and Christian you know, right. in that That's region. Very Although true. the yeah. Christian population post-ISIS is just way smaller than it used to be. Right, right. Um, I mean, so that's the prism I'm looking at this. Is the two-state solution good or bad? Is it something that Jews, Christians, and Muslims can work together to attempt to achieve? If that's the case, then you want to condemn the Hamas raid. Exactly, yeah. In no uncertain language at all. And, And you want to try to... I mean, you would not accept the word of Hamas that a hospital was hit by an Israeli strike. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I'm struggling to understand the logic of even going down that road. And what I'm, what I would urge listeners to do, my one of my mentors in journalism used to say, "When in doubt, get a document." <laughs> Don't rely on what people are saying and how they interpret it. Get a document. And in this case, I would urge people to go online. Uh, A Journey Through New York Religions is one place to find a a link. The links are all over there. Get yourself a copy of the 1988 Hamas Covenant. Yep. And read it for yourself. And try to say... This phrase we keep hearing chanted by everyone from elementary school students 
to Harvard and everywhere from the river to the sea, yeah. Palestine must be free. It, which, it's the elimination of Israel is what it, that's it's what the elimination it's all about. of Israel. Yeah. And, and I would stress it's either one of two things. It's either genocide of the Jewish people in Israel mm-hmm. or it's a demi state returning yep. where Jews and Christians would be living in a secondary rights situation under an Islamic state. Mm-hmm. And that is those that survived would be in that state. Yeah. Those that survived the war to retake the territory from the river to the sea. I mean, so I, there's so much going on right now. I would urge people to look for coverage that tell you the documents and the public speeches and read the stuff yourself at this point. Yeah. I, it's There seems to be a, an unwillingness to believe that Hamas, which was the ruling um, government in Gaza, it's hard to. Be- I think people have a hard time believing that they are uh, terrorists. They people tend to think of terrorists as movements, clusters of various people. They don't tend to think of governing authorities as terrorists, and. Yeah. All you had to do was, I mean, the Israeli Defense Forces held a press conference, invited about 250 international journalists in, and they actually aired the raw uh, footage that yeah. they picked up from the GoPros that the terrorists were using when they came in there. And, you know, looking at those, and I'm, I, I read a verbal description of the, the raw footage, and there's some, can be no doubt that you're dealing with terrorism here you're, yeah. you know you're not dealing with the normal uh, fog of war situations this is deliberate intentional slaying of babies uh, men well, and women yeah. uh, you know so that shouldn't be but hard see, to understand but behind that are another set of facts that we need journalists to be attempting to confirm we we, we need hard evidence if it's possible to get it where is Hamas basing its military operations right. and its political operations? And are they continuing, in effect, to use the Palestinian people as a human shield to their operations? Well, I think I mean, the logic— you have a yeah. bunch of armament stored next to a mosque, right. it's very hard to not hit the mosque. Well, I mean, if you have your political operations in a hospital— it's hard not to have to attack a hospital. Well, they seem to they seem to believe that they can sacrifice their own uh, population in order to discredit uh, Israel. So it's not even a human yeah, shield well, situation; it's a human sacrifice situation. Well, and it and also they know that the more of that footage that's on the air, the yeah. greater the public outcry and the greater the pain. That's right. Another fact that I really think we should be able to get this stuff confirmed from satellite footage. I mean, maybe someone needs to appeal to Elon Musk to release a bunch of footage, you know, off his satellites or something. (laughs) But is Hamas blocking the exits from Gaza for people to be able to leave and get out of the way of whatever military conflict is to come? You know, um, at the same time, I would I would remind listeners, Egypt is not going to accept refugees from Gaza, right. because they are terrified 
of Islamic extremists that would be similar to the Islamic Brotherhood in Egypt. That's right. That would then destabilize Egypt. Yeah, yeah. And no. that's similar to the problems that Jordan has had through the years yep. in terms of the situation. So I'm not saying a two-state solution is easy or perfect. What I'm saying is that if you care about the future rights and safety of the Palestinian people, you want a stable environment on the ground seeking two states. That's That's got to be the long-range dream, as hard as it is to achieve. Sure. And that isn't achieved by but from the river to the sea palestine must be free yeah that's just war it's war and potential genocide i'm curious did you have you seen much reporting on what step two for hamas is here hamas is i mean what what do they they attack they commit acts of terrorism they're proud of it they publicize it and then then what what step two? Well, step two is more video of if, if Israel doesn't attack, then you move to video of killing hostages on screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, everything depends on getting Israel to provoke a regional war. And there, there are people who believe that the ultimate goal there is for Iran to supersede Saudi Arabia as the power base for Islam in the region. I mean, some people think that that's the long-range plan, that if you can unleash Iran as the major force, then, then you've also downplayed the Saudis. Yeah. So we yeah. can't forget the tensions, the historic tensions between Iran and Saudi Arabia as well. Yeah. And it would seem that Hamas, and I believe Hezbollah at this point, are much more linked to the Iranian side of things. Yes, than they are the Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia so, did did send funding uh, to Hamas years ago, but uh, yeah. Dory Gold, the former ambassador, Israeli ambassador to the UN, who wrote the book back in oh, two thousand and one called "Hatred's Kingdom," which was a review of hate speech within Saudi mosques. Uh, he just recently has come out and and has done a study saying uh, there's no no dollars. Uh, flowing from Saudi Arabia to Hamas uh, these days, he's changed his changed his tune from yeah. twenty years ago. So, well, and certainly, if you were about to have talks, not so much peace talks as much as recognition talks, if you get my distinction, sure, sure, between Saudi Arabia and Israel, that that certainly is. If that's what this attack was actually about, then stage two is regional war. Period. Yeah. Terry, thanks much. Good talking with you again. Okay. And okay, glad to be here, I guess. And glad is the right word. I, I know. Okay. In the current situation. Okay, thanks. Terry Mattingly is editor of Get Religion. He writes the nationally syndicated on religion column for Universal Syndicate. We need your help. Hello, I'm Marianne Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. Our ads feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and 
and pregnancy help, babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. To donate, please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. so much going on in the world, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. What do you need to know today? Stay tuned to Cresta in the Afternoon and Candle Connection with Teresa Tomio as we bring you the day's top stories and conversations from an authentic Catholic perspective. Never miss an episode of Cresta in the Afternoon. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen on demand at AveMariaRadio.net and on the Ave Maria Radio app. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popchuk. God isn't content to love us from a distance. That's why he emptied himself, was born a man, walked among us, suffered, died, and rose again. That's why, having ascended to the Father, he gives us the sacraments, all so that we can experience his extravagant love through our senses. Being generously and appropriately affectionate with our kids is an important way to teach them about Christ's own embodied extravagant love. There's nothing stingy or reserved about the way God loves his children, you and me, and we're called to love our children as demonstratively as he loves us. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. Let us strive to know the Lord. Quick question to you and me right now. Is that what you and I are doing every single day? When you and I wake up every day, do we strive to know Jesus or not? In the Old Testament, in the same book of Hosea, a little bit later on, it's in chapter 14, the Lord says through the prophet, my people perish, or in another translation, my people are being destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Not a lack of data, we got tons of data. Not a lack of information, we got a lot of information. Not just about things that are happening in the world, we got a lot of data, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information about God, but not a lot of intimacy with God. Not a lot of relationship with God, not a lot of friendship. That's the cry of God's heart. God wants to give himself to us in the incredible gift of friendship, and we're not taking advantage of it. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Join me right now to take a look at this coming Sunday's Gospel reading. We've got Peggy Stanton, author of From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta and, in fact, uh, 
has uh, given us the Order of Malta Minutes with the Catechism. She was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent and has hosted many programs here on Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. Peggy, good to have you again. Thank you, Al. So good to be with you again. We have got uh, this famous passage. This is the, again, um, the love, the whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Uh, Let me just read from Matthew 22, verses 34 Mm to 40, and then we'll get into it. Right. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, tested him by asking, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. End quote. So there we have it. <laughs> Again, you and I have commented on this several times, but how much our Lord can pack into a, a small yeah. paragraph. Yeah. And uh, in all the research I did, uh, there's so many um, long discussions on on what was meant by this, and and, uh, our Lord (laughs) boiled it down to something very simple. Uh, But there are uh, interesting ways to uh, examine this. Uh, from the Didache, of course, Bible, which you gave to me, mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> it's in tatters now, Al. <laughs> I've had to tape it together. I'm glad it was used. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, um, it cites, always cites, uh, it's, um, that it has taken its reflections from the Catechism and cites the paragraphs. But I just thought it would be interesting to see how the Didache... Um, summed it up when he says, when the Pharisees asked Christ which was the greatest commandment, and there were so many precepts in the Mosaic law, he did not name any of the Ten Commandments, but the great commandments of love, which presuppose fidelity to the Ten Commandments. And once again, Jesus stressed the importance of external acts reflecting the observance of the law is accompanied and animated by the proper disposition of the heart, love of God and love of neighbor. The commandments find their true meaning in light of the two great commandments of love. And then the Didache cited three paragraphs from the Catechism as the source of its interpretation. Paragraph 1824 says, Fruit of the Spirit and fullness of the law, charity, keeps the commandments of God and his Christ, which are, of course, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Paragraph 2055 uh, gives the quote that you gave from our Lord directly and says the Decalogue must be interpreted in light of this twofold yet single commandment of love as the fullness of the law. Then uh, the paragraph recites the, uh, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this sentence, 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself because love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fullness of the law mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. finally in paragraph 2083 Jesus sums up man's duties toward God when he says you should love the Lord your God with your all your heart with all your soul with all your mind so this immediately echoes the solemn call, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. God has loved us first. This is such an important point. He it has is. loved us first. And the love of the one God is recalled in the first of the ten words, the commandments, then make explicit the response of love that man is called to give his God. Uh, the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You should have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is that in the earth below or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Um, yeah. It, I, I mean, I think, I, I think, coming back to the recitation of the first commandment, I've, I always think it's important to remember that God says, I am the Lord your God. But then he ties uh, it himself to historical actions who brought you out of the land of Egypt, mm -hmm. out of the house of bondage. He's not just a, you know, he's not just a, a transcendent principle. Mm -hmm. He's not just uh, the object of contemplation, uh, you mm -hmm. know, the, 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 the wholeness of, of the universe or something. Right. No, right. He's, a, he's a God who acts in space, in time. Mm -hmm. he, he does things. Um, and I think this is something we should keep in mind because biblical spirituality is never just interior. It always is related to being lived out and mm -hmm. taking action. Again, uh, we mentioned, yeah, external acts. Yes. He, yeah. 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 That's a very good point, uh, Al. Hadn't, you know, really focused on that. That's an excellent point that we should be focusing on. Uh, and there, as I said earlier, there, there was a lot of... Um, esoteric um, and educational, you know, uh, probing into the history of of um, this era and what the meaning, what that meaning had for what Christ said. But Bishop Robert Barron had a very uh, kind of charming personal story in his reflection on this gospel, and I, saw, and I think maybe this would resonate with everyone out there more than uh, too much esoteric <laughs> recitation. So he, Bishop Barron recalls how he was invited to visit Rancho Mirage, Ronald Reagan's ranch, where the president loved to spend time riding and working. I was impressed, Barron says, by the natural beauty of the terrain, but what particularly struck me was the simplicity of the house. In fact, the bedroom that President Reagan and his wife shared was very small, very basic, 
rather inelegant. Hmm. When I remarked to one of the guides that Mrs. Reagan, given her refined taste, probably didn't much like the ranch. (laughs) (laughs) I would assume that same thing. Right, me too. Yeah, he smiled and said, oh, no, on the contrary. She loved it because he loved it and she loved him. Isn't that wonderful? That's beautiful, yeah. 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 And, and then Bishop Barron, I love the way he, he p- ties this to the gospel. He says, Bishop Barron likens Nancy's Reagan's reason for loving the ranch to God's coupling the two great commandments of love. First, that we love God above all things with everything we've got. And second, love our neighbors as ourselves. Bishop Barron asks, why would Jesus add this fresh commandment as <clears throat> uh, that of loving our neighbors as ourselves? Well, he says, if we truly love God, then we will love everyone God loves, even yeah. those who f- for us are rather unlovable. Had she not fallen in love with Ronald Reagan, Nancy most likely wouldn't have cared for the rustic ranch. But she did fall in love with him, and he loved the ranch, so she loved it too. (laughs) If we haven't fallen in love with God, we will probably find a lot of people not to our liking. But if we do love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, we will love those whom he loves which means everyone. And then, uh, if we have time, I just wanted to read um, this this uh, comment from uh, Catherine Doherty. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, she says, let every day be the day... Whoops, I'm losing this on my... <laughs> on my on my iPad, okay. it just flew away. But, so, but unfortunately, I have... Have it on paper. Very good. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. this is Catherine Doherty. She says, let every day be the day of beginning again of loving Christ a little more, of hungering for him a little more, of turning our face to him. To accomplish this, all we need to do is to look at the person next to us. We must never forget that we shall be judged on love alone and that there is only one way to love God and prove it to him by loving our neighbor, Hmm. the person next to us at any given moment. I repeat, turning our face and heart to Christ simply means turning to the one who is next, next to us at this particular moment in our life. If we do, that, dearly beloved, we shall become saints. I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah, I love it because it's so immediate. Yeah. Uh, you can do it. Uh, a lot of times we think about how, how, how when we're told to love uh, even our enemies, we say, how can we do this? Uh, yeah, it, right. It's so expansive, so massive yeah. a commandment. Yeah. Uh, so I love this kind of uh, a suggestion. Uh, get into the habit of turning to the person next to you. You know, and okay, uh, Al, that's you. I love right you, <laughs> and I, I love you, Peggy. <laughs> now that now we've proved to God we love Him. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, this. You know, the funny thing. I think I've said this before when we were talking about this. Mm. Uh, 
when I was much younger, uh, the command to love struck me as kind of, well, sure, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course you ought to love everybody. And, you right. know, it, it's kind of not that interesting even. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's kind of simple. Um, yeah. And then once you take seriously, though, the commandment yeah. and how to actually do it, mm-hmm. then you realize the profundity of mm-hmm. the commandment. It, yeah. it doesn't just come easy. It is no. something that has to be, um, well, it's a work of grace in your life. It is also a, a, a cultivation of virtue. It's a, it has to become a habit. Mm-hmm. You want to learn to love. And, of course, the cultivation of habit, you, you need to be able to exercise that. So mm-hmm. this turning to the person next right. to you yeah. uh, is one way of doing it. I think mm-hmm. that's a, a, just a wonderful way of beginning the task of learning to love one another. I know, I know. It, it, because uh, as, as uh, some research pointed out, that our Lord was not um, making it easier for us. In a sense, it was right. more challenging That's than right. observing the 613 <laughs> precepts of the Jewish demands. And um, Professor John Berksman puts it well when he says, the love of the Holy Spirit is key we can't live up to the command of love until we learn to love with the love of God which has been given us. Our own feeble efforts are not going to be sufficient. Yeah. But it but but you know, like you say, I think this is a grace from from God um giving us this story and giving us this idea that we just Love the person next to us. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, again, when one is younger and you think of love, you associate it with emotions. Uh, when you're older, you associate love with an act of the will. Exactly. You know? Precisely. So. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Once Thank again. Thank you, Al. Okay. We'll talk soon. <laughs> Peggy Stanton. Again, we have uh, follow up information if you want to. Peggy's books are available in the online bookstore. And, uh, Just head on over to AveMariaRadio.net. Father Benedict Groeschel. I want to welcome you, if you're not familiar, with the wonderful world of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What will America become if it makes it impossible for the Holy Spirit to work here because of untruth? and self-indulgence and paganism. This is not just a nice discussion of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because I'm going to discuss what happens when people make it impossible to be prudent, just, or honest, or brave, or courageous, or reverent. When people make that impossible, What a terrible thing they do not only to themselves, but to our society. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Can your messy house lead to anxiety? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians states that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. If you walk in the door at home and you are greeted by clutter, 
peace may be hard to find. A messy house can lead to cognitive overload. While we're trying to concentrate on one thing, clutter can distract. According to research, women may be more affected by this type of anxiety. Societal roles and expectations can enhance the stress. To be fair, other underlying mental health disorders can lead to more clutter. Depression, hoarding, and OCD, just to name a few. However, clutter can sometimes lead to more creativity. Bottom line, don't let a messy house define you as a good or bad person. Take baby steps to negotiate with those responsible for messes to make change or hire a cleaning person. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on clutter at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Thanking you for being with me this first hour. Remember, our conversations have follow-up information. Virtually all of them have follow-up information at AveMariaRadio.net. Just go to the Cresta Guest Archives. Next hour, we'll take a look at the Vatican II document, Nostre Atate, that declares that God holds the Jews most dear for the sake of their fathers and does not repent of the gifts he makes or of the calls he issues. I'm Al Cresta. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Thanking you for joining me. Uh, obviously, we have been focused, uh, a good deal of our time has been focused on the, the aftermath of the October 7th uh, massacre in Israel and the remarkable, um, and, and subsequently, the historical amnesia uh, that we're seeing played out on college campuses, where you even see uh, college students and college professors chanting uh, lines from Hamas about the uh, obliteration of Israel, pushing them into the sea, from the river to the sea. Uh, that's, that's simply code for the removal of the nation-state of Israel or the elimination of the Jewish people themselves. And, uh, and there's been a big effort to try to come up with some idea of moral equivalence here between um, Israel and Hamas. Uh, look, we've talked about it before, but I want to anchor our discussion, uh, not only in current political observations and commentary, but also in our understanding of what the land means uh, to the Jewish people. And this ties in, of course, to uh, Nostra Tate, the Second Vatican Council document, that uh, has some pretty outstanding statements to make about uh, the relationship of the Jewish people to the Divine Covenant and our responsibility uh, to the Jewish people. So we're going to talk that over. My guest will be Dr. Andre Villeneuve. He's Associate Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. But first, what we do is we get the headlines. 
Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Thursday, October 26th. It's the Feast of St. Alfred the Great. Today's news is brought to you by Visiting Angels, providing loving care and assistance to seniors in need at visitingangels.com. The new Republican Speaker of the House is promising to find common ground with Democrats. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson took the gavel yesterday and added he'll hit the ground running. The challenge before us is great, but the time for action is now, and I will not let you down. Johnson acknowledged the process was a grueling battle. Johnson saying he's humbled and added he'll immediately address pressing issues. The families of hostages taken prisoner by Hamas are on Capitol Hill. We live in this bizarre universe of not knowing if our loved one is alive, dead, being taken care of, what did he eat, where did he sleep. New York City native Ruby Chen called on lawmakers to do everything they can to help secure the release of his 19-year-old son and the 200 other hostages. Unrest at colleges and universities over the Israel-Hamas war is resulting in increased police presence on campus. The NYPD announcing uniformed officers at all its New York City colleges and universities. This comes after Jewish students at the Cooper Union College were forced to take shelter in a library while a group of pro-Palestinian demonstrators chanted Free Palestine and banged on locked doors. New York Democrat Jamal Brown is pleading guilty to a misdemeanor charge for pulling a fire alarm in the Capitol building. He'll have to pay a $1,000 fine and write an apology letter to Capitol Police. Prosecutors in return will dismiss the charge in three months. And police in Maine continue to search for suspected mass shooter Robert Card. 18 people were killed while 13 others were injured. Three of the injured are reported to be in critical condition. From your Ave Maria Radio that news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest is Dr. Andre Villeneuve. He's Associate Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. He received his doctorate from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in 2013, writing his dissertation on the topic of nuptial symbolism in the New Testament and in ancient Jewish writings. In fact, we've discussed his work in his book on this program. His main areas of interest and study include sacred scripture, the Jewish roots of the Catholic faith, leading pilgrimages to the Holy Land, and fostering the reconciliation of Israel and the Church through the work of Catholics for Israel. In fact, that's the website we recommend, catholicsforisrael.com. Well, Andre, good to have you back. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. This, uh, just, when you, when the reports began coming in about the the terrorist attack, the massacre on October 7th, what, what was going through your mind? Uh, unbelievable. Uh, shock and disbelief. First, obviously, the failure of uh, Israeli intelligence to stop that, yeah. which I think has shocked the world, uh, thinking that they were among the most developed yeah. in terms of uh, intelligence. But mostly the cruelty and the barbarity of those attacks of shooting down, you know, some 260 kids at a, at a music festival, walking into kibbutzes, shooting drivers. We've seen these scenes of devastation on the, the roads of one car after another with dead bodies outside, yep. uh, babies burnt alive, people shot in their, their homes. 
uh, uh, just unspeakable horrors that we we thought we would never see again. And, and they so, were proud of it. They had GoPros. They were ca- taking cameras. There's one person calling his father, saying, yes. "Father, I I killed ten Jews with my bare hands. I'm sending you the photos on WhatsApp. Yeah. Be proud of me, father." Yeah, and the father congratulates him. So uh, it points yeah. to we're not just talking about one terrorist organization. We're talking about a pervasive culture of of hatred yeah. that is that goes very very deep, unfortunately, in in the in Palestinian society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's you know I've and I've mentioned this on the air too. I've actually seen um, a cartoon mm-hmm. uh, for Palestinian children in which they're exhorted to do their prayers. And in the course of the presentation, there's also a command to kill the Jews. Yeah. To kids, little yeah. kids. Yeah. Uh, long before they're, uh, they're aware of the political history of the people and the land. Yes. Um, and you, there's a documentary called Promises mm-hmm. from uh, a few years ago. Uh, I think it was up for an Academy Award. It's, the director is a non-religious Jew who spent time over a few years with seven children, some from Palestine, uh, so, excuse me, some from the West Bank, um, the Palestinian area of the West Bank, and some from uh, uh, the Israeli area. And uh, in the course of his interviews, uh, one of the darling Palestinian boys, you watch him play, uh, he's, a, he's a runner, so you watch him in competition in track and field. In the course of just normal conversation, says, yeah, I'm looking forward to killing Jews when I get older. Yeah. Now, thankfully, by the end of the documentary, there's some, I hope, it looked like there's some breaking of that because they actually mm-hmm. get to meet one another. Mm-hmm. But I don't, we in America, no matter how politicized you are, it's difficult to see parents who would raise kids right. to grow up wanting to kill Democrats, kill Republicans, right. kill Jews. A lot of hateful things get said in our land. Yeah. But the idea of raising children to kill, that is alien to this uh, tradition. Uh, Very much. And it's not just that it's alien, but we assume that this is impossible. And I think this is why much of the world has been brutally waking up for how long? I don't know. I think they're going to forget pretty soon, just as it was the case after 9-11. But that there is, of course, there's Hamas, which is a terrorist organization. There's the broader Palestinian society. But the... Uh, the the uh, can of worms that nobody ro- really wants to open is, of course, Islam. And some right. would kind of put it into a box, well, this does not represent Islam. This is just a type of radical jihadist type of yeah. ideology. Yeah. And so you'll find different positions. Uh, but to be fair, when, when, when one is familiar with Islamic sources, with the Quran and the Hadith and, and Islamic tradition, there is a strain of, of anti-Semitism and yeah. uh, certainly of killing the kuffar, of killing the, of the infidels. Yeah. Uh, or at least there's this choice of either they are second-class citizens that they pay the Islamic tax, or that they or they convert, or they are killed. Right. And so some would some argue that well, that's not authentic. There are also passages of peace within the Quran because, right. but Islam really means submission. So well, it's kind of a peace, but if you're submitted to you're peaceful. If you're submitted, you're peaceful. Yeah. To Sharia, yeah. yeah. And so it's undeniable that there is absolutely a strain. And for that reason, we don't see this jihadist movement coming out of Judaism or Christianity. Christianity only comes out of Islam. And, and so this is why it's been so difficult for Arab nations to actually recognize Israel's right to exist. Yes. It's yeah. why Anwar Sadat was murdered. 
Yeah. Because he actually established some kind of peace with uh, with Israel. Right. Uh, he was murdered by, uh, I believe, members of the Muslim Brotherhood or, or yes. related group. Um, and even now, uh, it looked as though Saudi Arabia and uh, Israel were warming up towards one another. Right. Right. Uh, it would have been it would have been quite remarkable for Saudi Arabia to establish diplomatic relations yeah. with Israel. I don't know if they were going that far, but it looked real positive. Yeah, we there are definitely some more moderate Islamic regimes. Normally, we don't think of Saudi Arabia as a more moderate one. You think of no. the, the Emirates or <laughs> right. maybe Turkey. I mean, uh, even even in Iran, Iran is a very fundamentalist regime, and we're talking about the Shias. But there are a lot of Iranians who have expressed support for Israel in this this past week who are not uh, in line with the the Islamic right. uh, regime. So yeah, we see we see really different strains. We there is a more moderate Islam, but the question is which one is more faithful to the sources. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and um and again this is something we want to we it's not a simple matter here. No. And uh, well let's let's uh let's talk uh, a little bit about uh the common response of so many people to say, well, I mean, I have, I have friends bring this up with me. Uh, well, you know, Israel's hands aren't all clean either. Right. Uh, you know, they've done some bad things, and uh, so it's basically a uh, plague on both your houses here. Yeah. This more idea of moral equivalence between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. You know, I, I say, wait, wait a minute. There's one thing when civilians are killed in the fog of war. Yeah. You know, uh, it's another thing when you actually target civilians. Which is everything that Hamas does. Every exactly. rocket that they shoot is directed indiscriminately at civilian populations. So for sure, every time there is a, a, a clash, I mean, now it's a full-scale war, of course, but it's happened several times in, to a lesser extent in the past decade or so. Uh, Israel goes to every length to avoid civilian casualties. There are some, of course, and everyone is tragic. But, as you know, I lived 12 years in Israel, and I've never heard this kind of speech. We need to, uh, we need to go and kill uh, Arab or Muslim children. Right. This is not something you hear and you have a very strong peace movement mostly on the political, on the political left in Israel, in Israel that just yeah. says uh, give them their land, two states a two state solution and uh, let, them, let them live and let's just live in a state of separation but the fact is that They've tried that with Gaza in 2005 when Israel unilaterally withdrew from Gaza. And, well, how does that, has that, experience, has that experiment worked out? Right. Immediately Hamas took power. We had a bloody civil war between Hamas and Fatah. Hmm. And as soon as they could, they started launching rockets at Israeli population centers. Yeah. So how are you, this is the question that I, I tend to ask for those who resort to moral equivalency to say, okay, both sides are culpable. True, Israel is not a, a nation of saints. Uh, that's true. You can find faults in the actions of the army or political decisions. But what would you do if you are dealing with Hamas that is devoted to the destruction, the annihilation of the Jewish state? When they sing, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Well, the river to the sea is the whole state of Israel. Right. Wipe them right off. So if you're an Israeli prime minister, an Israeli government, uh, this is what I would like to ask to my uh, moral equivalency friends, well, what, sh- what would you do? Sit down with the leaders of Hamas and say, okay, let's kind of, you want to kill me, so let's try to meet a point in between to... Uh... <laughs> well, there's this joke, there's this joke I just came across the other day, which says there's really only uh, two issues here uh, mm-hmm. between Hamas and, and Israel, and it's that is Hamas wants to uh, kill uh, Israelis and kill the nation Israel, and Israel doesn't want to die. 
and uh, neither one of them are going to compromise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's it's barely uh, it's it's barely a joke. It's almost right. too true to yeah. too true to reality. Yeah. You were there for twelve years. I was. Yeah. Were you there when Itzhak Rabin was murdered? I was not. That was in nineteen ninety five, and okay. I moved there in nineteen ninety eight. So three okay. years later, yeah. I was there. Unfortunately, for for almost all the second intifada. So okay. from two thousand to th- two thousand three, approximately. Yeah. So it was a terrible time. Suicide bombings every day. Of course, many Palestinians killed it all but the dynamic was a little bit similar this idea of going and intentionally killing civilians children women um it just doesn't matter so it's hard to 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 develop a a sympathy for for the palestinians as as a political movement or as as a nation you know of course you sympathize i knew palestinian christians sure many of course are innocent and want to have want don't want anything to do with this especially the christians but also some muslims but it's hard to be sympathetic to the palestinian cause as a palestinian movement and again even this last week after these unspeakable horrors that have been committed against israelis we see all these massive demonstrations some right outside our door here in Michigan, right yeah. outside of Detroit and, and Dearborn, where mm-hmm. they are. It's like, okay, I can understand that you want to support the Palestinians, but is this really a time for a big show of pride after this butchery that goes against the most basic laws of human decency? Yeah. And, and the and, spreading of T-shirts that have this yeah. uh, this paratrooper coming in. Right. It's, a, it's, a, it's an imitation of the uh, the attack by air yeah. uh, on March seventh, right. uh, or excuse me, October seventh, uh, at the at the music festival, mm-hmm. uh, the idea that somebody would wear that yes. and be proud is yeah. shocking. Yeah, and um, and there's a rewriting of history as well, which does not win personally my sympathy. That most of the time when I engage into pro-Palestinian advocates on social media, there's constantly this rewriting of history. They t- seem to say that the Israeli quote-unquote occupation has been the source of all evils. But if you look at since the beginning of the Zionist movement, there always has been a willingness on the Israeli side for coexistence. Again, not perfect, and not everybody has been a saint about it. Right. But there has been a willingness for partition, 1937 the Peel Plan, 1947, the, the United Nations Plan. Finalists have two states. The Arab countries have always uh, said no, no negotiations, no peace, uh, no coexistence yeah. uh, until Anwar Sadat, and he paid the price with his life. Yeah. There's been also a peace agreement with Jordan, but um, this constant rewriting of history saying that Israel has just you know stolen Palestinian land when there has never been a Palestinian state. The West Bank used to be Jordan. The Gaza Strip used to be Egypt. And so, you know, try to come to a political solution through rewriting of history and and lies. To, to me personally, it does not really win my sympathy. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it, it it's very frustrating. And uh, you, you think again. Think about having a neighbor who doesn't think you have a right to be there. Yeah. And you, you're not going to sleep very well at night. Right. Knowing that. Right. Uh, Got to take a break right now. Andre will come back and continue the conversation. My guest, Dr. Andre Villeneuve, Associate Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. He received his doctorate from Hebrew University uh, of Jerusalem and, in fact, spent 12 years uh, in Israel. Uh, we're going to continue taking a look at both the current situation and also dig into some of the biblical material that may be of relevance. With so much going on in the world, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. What do you need to know today? 
Stay tuned to Cresta in the Afternoon and Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio as we bring you the day's top stories and conversations from an authentic Catholic perspective. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. Never miss an episode of Cresta in the Afternoon. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen on demand at AveMariaRadio.net and on the Ave Maria Radio app. Do you have a bad temper? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. From the Old to the New Testament, Scripture speaks about us controlling our anger. Proverbs states that those of us with a hasty temper will make mistakes. We also know anger issues can lead to health issues. We can cause a fight, lose a friend, or witness to others in ways that are unproductive. Mayo Clinic suggests some ways to manage our anger and dial down the temperature of our anger. Practice deep breathing, maybe a personal timeout. Think before speaking. Calm down before discussing a concern. This will lead to less stress. Identify solutions and present them calmly. Try using humor or laugh at yourself. Humor can be a great diffuser. Most of all, if you have persistent anger issues at work or at home, don't be afraid to seek help. For more details on managing anger, look for the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. Thank you. 
Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is uh, Dr. Andre Villeneuve, Associate Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. We're discussing uh, the aftermath of the March, uh, October 7th massacre, uh, and we've been assessing the historical amnesia that goes along uh, with the way people look at this conflict. Uh, I was noticing, too, when pro-Palestinian speakers, uh, you know, were saying, you know, we just want a settlement, uh, we just want uh, a fair share of the land and all this. There's no discussion of the, the suicide bombers that went on. Right. They talk about, oh, we had kids who were throwing stones, Yeah, you know. Um, and they're and there's not being they're not being corrected. Yeah. In the mainstream media either, there's just going out, and nobody asked the question. Well, listen, why do you think Israel felt they had to build those walls in the in the West Bank? Yeah. One of the most preposterous accusations against Israel is that is a, a quote apartheid state. Yeah. And having lived there, you know, I can say with confidence it's probably one of the most, if not the most diverse nation where I've, I've ever lived. You have, mm. you know, you have uh, Europeans, you have Americans, you have Ethiopians, you have Arabs, you have over one million Arabs living in Israel. Yeah, I think it's 1.6 million or 1. so. 1.6 now. Yeah. So at all levels of society, you have Arabs on the Supreme Court, you have them in the army, the, the military, the, the police, uh, the, the legal system, uh, you have, you, you know, uh, actors. Singers at all levels of society. So there's no there's no pro. Well, every society may have a racist problem in terms of individuals, but sure. it's a very very open, tolerant society. And so the apartheid state is just preposterous. Very often they point to the separation wall between Israel and the Palestinian territories. Right. But like you said, con- complete collective amnesia. Why was this wall built in the first place? And I was there in 2003. 2002, 3, 4, when there were those one suicide bombing taking place in the country almost every day, and kids and uh, and uh, women and children being blown up to bits. And so I saw the dilemma in Israeli politics. What do we do about this? They could have carpet-bombed Palestinian cities, and they yeah. didn't. So yeah. what they did is, again, separation. We're just going to separate from them. And now they're accused of being an apartheid state right. because right. of this wall to try to protect their children from these suicide bombers. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is uh, this is an argument about uh, land and territory. Yeah. Um, there's a long uh, history of international law favoring indigenous people. Yes. Jews have been indigenous uh, yes. in the land, uh, but uh, what was the po- what was the population like uh, as the uh, Zionist movement began. What was the population like in the land that we call Israel? There's a famous quote from um, from Mark Twain, who visited the Holy Land, uh, which was called Palestine back then, but it was part of the Ottoman Empire, so it was not a state of That's Palestine. Right. And when he visited, he said that the land is basically desolate. You know, he had a few villages here and there, so this was, what, the middle of the, the 19th century. Yeah. And uh, so... I, I can't tell you offhand the numbers or the proportions. I know Jews were a minority, but they always yeah. were in the land. And, of course, there were some Arabs as well. So with the uh, the rise of the Zionist movement, of course, the Jewish population started in, increasing. increasing, for right. sure. There's no doubt about that. But there was actually room. Even today, there still is room for, for the two people. 
And so it's very unfortunate that, you know, it started escalating into tensions, but very early there were massacres, there were riots already in the 1920s and 1930s. In Hebron, the, almost the entire Jewish population was massacred. In Hebron, I think it was in 1929, or I'm not sure about okay. the year, but uh, the whole Jewish population was massacred, and then it happened again and again. And so, for sure, we can say, okay, both... Uh, both people have a claim to, to yeah. the land. Yeah. If we want to be really go back to the roots, we can go back to biblical times sure. and say, well, the, the Jews were, in many ways, were there first. But of course, the Arabs have a right uh, to be there. But again, it's the problem of how you try to exercise this right or gain gain your rights. And if you're employing uh, acts of terror for it, I think you're kind of forsaking your rights. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the biblical material. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, what does the scripture say about the giving of the land? Mm-hmm. It comes under the Abrahamic covenant? Yes. It's one of the most frequent, if not the most frequent prophecy that we find in the Old Testament. It begins with the promises to Ab- Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see, of course, uh, Joseph who goes to Egypt and the whole impetus of the Exodus to return to the land of Israel as the land that the Lord promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to their forefathers. And then there's always a threat of exile if Israel is unfaithful, but even before, during, and after the exile, we see the prophets repeatedly say, I will return you to the land that I promised to to the forefathers. And what is really interesting, especially Ezekiel is very strong with this, he doesn't say, when you finally repent, and finally when you get your act together, and when you become saints, then uh, then I'll bring you back. Yeah. Right? There's, there is a condition for for righteousness, otherwise you'll be exiled. Right. The repatriation, the bringing back the Jewish people back from exile, it's not tied to any condition of righteousness. On okay. the contrary, it's always portrayed as a sovereign act of God, after which the Lord will pour out His Spirit upon His people and give Him a new heart instead of a heart of stone. That's Ezekiel 36, 37. 37, the famous Valley of the Dry Bones, which says exactly the same thing. We see the, the bones that are dried out in the valley, they are covered with flesh and sinews and skin, and so we see a physical restoration of the bones that turn into corpus, mm-hmm. and then we see the outpouring of the spirit so that they come back to life. And then Ezekiel interprets this immediately. He doesn't leave any room for the imagination. He says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, and I will bring them back into their land, and after I have brought them back, I will pour out my spirit upon them and give them life, essentially. Yeah. So we see this beautiful promise of the restoration of the Jewish people back into the land of Israel, which is not quite enough. We know that the land, Zionism in itself, is not an end in itself. There needs to be a deeper transformation of the people of Israel. But nevertheless, it is a promise that is absolutely there. Yeah. I think this is important, too. People sometimes forget that that um, there's a relationship between... Uh, possession of the land and uh, ethics. Yeah, you know, and so th- this you have to remember exile is possible. Yes, you know, uh, the judgment comes. Yeah, and so we should never forget that. Yeah, and the exile has been the case actually for most uh, Jew- most of Jewish history <laughs> That's right. from the Babylonian exile, but then after that. Uh, and just shortly after the time of Christ, from 70 A.D. up until the 19th century, yeah. so exile has been the norm more than the exception. What. Um, the Catholic Church's understanding of its relationship mm-hmm. with uh, the people of Israel uh, has certainly developed yeah. uh, in recent times. Yeah. Uh, through most of our history, we uh, get, certainly at a popular level, 
it was widely think, thought that well, the Jewish people had their chance, uh, they rejected Messiah, and now God has a new people. That's right. us, the church. Right. Uh, the, as Again, as the church has continued to reflect on the scriptures, it's had to come to grips with certain statements in St. Paul, which seem to indicate pretty clearly that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Yes. And so the covenant with the uh, ancient Israel mm-hmm. uh, is in some way still operative. Yes. So tell us, get, get this properly balanced for us. Yeah, it's really a paradox. And you're right that what we call supersessionism or replacement theology has never been an official position of the Catholic Church, but it has been a tacit position yeah. or a kind of a popular position really for most, most of church history. And I would even dare to say that even though the Second Vatican Council and pretty much every Catholic document on Jewish Christian relations since the Second Vatican Council has repudiated this theology, I would say that on a popular level, it's still tacitly accepted, maybe not so much taught, but unfortunately, especially in some more traditionalist circles, and sometimes it is actively taught that the church is the new and true Israel, which is not entirely false, but when we mean the, the church is the new Israel, we mean by participation, by being grafted in, as Paul says in Romans 11, and not by stealing the calling right. or the election, saying, well, now I'm the chosen people and you're not, so all right. you need to do is now convert and assimilate into the church. Yeah. Um, so, so Nostra Aetate for, certainly declared that, and... Um, at the Second Vatican Council, including the the guidelines on Nostra Aetate in 1974, then the notes on Nostra Aetate in, in 1985, and most recently in 2015, a document called The Gift and the Call of God are Irrevocable, yeah. really speaking about the Jewish people. So there's been, there's been a type of discomfort regarding the land because the Church affirms strongly, I would say, that God's covenant with the Jewish people is ongoing, because that's what Scripture says, that's right. what St. Paul says. But there's discomfort regarding the land, because the Church says, well, we don't really want to get into politics, because it is a political issue, but we know the Jews have a tie to the land, but we're not sure if this is something that's divine, maybe it just should be managed by international law, and there's a hesitancy. Right. I've actually had some conversations in Rome at the Vatican with some uh, churchmen who said, well, in the Vatican you have different positions. You have the more theological side who who tend to agree with that. They say, yeah, for sure, there's a theological connection between Israel and the land, but there's also the political side of the the Holy See, which deals with, well, we need to navigate the Islamic world and the Christians in the Middle East. We don't want to endanger them. If we take a Zionist position, that's going to be dangerous for them. So it's a whole very delicate navigation of not just pure theological truth, but also pragmatism. Sure, sure. Uh, you, I mean, you do have to be, you, you have to kind of deal with the, the, the likely consequences of one's opinion. Yeah. So you, you, the, the church is very cautious yeah. uh, here. And there were even riots in 1965 or in the, in the 1960s just for Nostra Aetate. You read Nostra Aetate today seems the most harmless <laughs> document. You know, there's a bit of truth in every religion. The Muslims are also kind of our, our brothers. You know, God speaks to them as well and the Jews. And it seems so harmless, but there were actually riots and I believe in people were killed because wow. of the uh, the commotion that this document was causing for just even acknowledging that the Jews may still have an ongoing covenant with God. Now, we, on one hand, you've got this idea of replacement theology, mm-hmm. which basically says, as far as the Jews go, as far as the uh, covenant go, it's, it, that's old stuff. It's yeah. been replaced. 
On the other hand, you've got people who maintain that the covenant is still, uh, uh, the Jews still have uh, an operative covenant, uh, and because of that, Catholics have no uh, should have have no business uh, presenting the gospel to them. Right. So that's certainly not what the church teaches, right? Right. That's something we call uh, some call it a dual covenant theology or the two covenant theology, which implies that since the Jews have their own covenant, we can just leave them alone, and then we have our own covenant through Christ, and we're all good. Each yeah. one has their own uh, way to God, and anyone who reads the New Testament for more than five minutes can uh, come to the, the easy conclusion that this is uh, uh, this doesn't work yeah. in according to both Jesus and especially Saint. Paul yeah. that um, and only biblical scholars and theologians are able to come to other conclusions than what scripture says as clear <laughs> as uh, as possible. Oh, Andre, hold it there. Got to take a break. We'll come back and continue the conversation. My guest, Dr. Andre Villeneuve, Associate Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. I'm Al Cresta. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. It's not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marianne Kuharski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America, offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at prolifeacrossamerica.org. Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. 60 Seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. The state has responsibility to orient things, but they can't take over the rights of the family, like in China, to have one child and that's it. It's a disaster over there. How many tens of millions of abortions have gone on? And one of the things that, as a result of that, is because of the preference to have boy children rather than girls, you have, for every thousand boys, there are 850 girls. This is a great imbalance. Same thing is going on in northern India. So this is where the government cannot take away the primary and inalienable responsibility of married couples and families. And they cannot employ methods which fail to respect the person and fundamental human rights, beginning with the right to life 
The government cannot force you to kill innocent human beings and still be a humanistic government. It's an evil government. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. When we refer to our Father who art in heaven, are we talking to a God who is far removed from us? On the contrary, says the Catholic Catechism, we are talking to a Father who is close to humble and contrite hearts. We assert that God is in the hearts of the just, as he is in his holy temple. He is in heaven, his dwelling place. The Father's house is our homeland. Sin has exiled us, but conversion of heart enables us to return to the Father, to heaven. Christians are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They spend their lives on earth, but are citizens of heaven. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Andre Villeneuve, Associate Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Sacred Heart Seminary in Detroit. We've been talking about uh, God's promise of the land uh, to uh, the children of Israel. We've been talking about the um, relationship we have with the Jewish people. And the remarkable uh, development of doctrine that emerges in Nostra Aetate, a document of the Second Vatican Council, in which Romans 11.29, uh, St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11.29 is quoted, saying that the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Again, this is applied directly as, from chapter 9 to 11. St. Paul is dealing with this, what is the relationship of this emerging messianic Jesus movement? What's the re relationship between the church and um, the Jewish people? So uh, it's clear that in St. Paul's mind, uh, the Jewish people have an ongoing uh, covenant. And part of the problem is exactly what that means for us today. So there are some who believe in this, uh, quote, dual covenant theory, as you pointed out, Andre, that that means that we should never, Christians should never present the gospel uh, to the Jewish people because they got their own covenant and they got their own way and we shouldn't interfere. Yeah. Um, is that common? It's quite common, yeah, um, especially in more liberal Catholic circles. In response to that, as as I said before the break, that you just need to read the New Testament for five minutes, Jesus proposes himself as the Messiah of Israel. And so if Jesus is not the Messiah of Israel, he's not anyone's Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's it's just a, a wholly absurd to say that, well, he would be the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the Gentiles, but he decided to skip over his own people. <laughs> now, as far as, is it wise, is it prudent, is it timely to evangelize the Jewish people? Now, that's another question, of course, and there needs, there needs to be great sensitivity in doing that because this has been greatly abused in the history of, of Christianity. Uh, really missionary endeavors that have gone astray or that were not done well at all. So now how, how to do this and whether to do this or 
especially how to do this, it can be certainly can be discussed. Sure. But the principle uh, as such of who is the source of salvation, who uh, who grants the forgiveness of sins, and who grants uh, access to to heaven and uh, gives us uh, partaking in uh, the divine life, and that is only the Messiah of Israel. You can also go deeper into Old Testament theology and saying, well, how do you receive forgiveness for sins in in the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, and that's, of course, through the shedding of blood and through the offering of blood sacrifices. And so where are the blood sacrifices today in Judaism? There hasn't been any since right. 70 AD. So even within Judaism itself, as much as personally I love Judaism and I love going to the synagogue and I love the prayers, even Jews acknowledge they, they pray at three times a day for the rebuilding of the temple because they know that there is something fundamentally missing, yeah. uh, which is the, uh, the idea of blood sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. And what is the concept of the priesthood now in uh, in uh, Judaism? Practically, there isn't much of it. There is still, when you meet a Jew who's called Kohen, Kohen in Hebrew is priest, okay. and so more than likely they come from Levitical and priestly line, and so many of them remember that, whether through the name or through some uh, some other way. But, I mean, practically, this the synagogue is very much a liturgy of the word today because yeah. there's no... Uh, and there's no um, there's no no sacrificial service yeah yeah um do just as a little bit off off base uh years ago i read a book called the resurrection of jesus by pincus lapid mm-hmm. a jewish rabbi mm-hmm. in which he affirmed that he accepted the resurrection of jesus mm-hmm. um did not accept his divinity but mm-hmm. saw him in a prophetic line and supernatural uh, phenomenon that often accompany mm-hmm. prophets like Elijah, and affirm the resurrection of Jesus. I assume that's an eccentric position. It is. Yeah, okay. It seems fascinating and a little bit inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah. Because how do you have the resurrection of Jesus? I suppose God could resurrect anyone. He, Elijah and Elisha, yeah. raised people from the dead in the Old Testament. So, but but yeah, it seems like that would kind of vindicate his messianic claims if he's raised from the dead. Right. Yeah, that's that's how I would read so, it too. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with that position. Yeah. So it seems to me fascinating and a bit inconsistent. <laughs> uh, when how how do we let's talk about the return to the land? Yeah. Nineteen forty-eight. Yeah. I know with evangelicals, Pentecostals, uh, a lot of them believe that that. They see that proximate event as the immediate, the beginning of the countdown mm-hmm. for the return of Christ. Right. Is there a way of regarding the return of the Jewish people to the land as theologically significant without falling into the trap of predicting the day or the hour of Christ's return? I think so. I don't know how many really try to predict the day, the hour. Some do, certainly. But in my whole time in Israel, I was pretty connected to evangelicals and Messianic Jews, and, and you know, few would dare to, to make actual predictions. Some were a little bit reckless with that, but I think this was a minority. I think it's possible. Uh, you know, the return of the Jews started in the 19th century, of yep. course, and, and uh, many Christian Zionist Christians supported them. They were mostly Protestants. There were a few Catholics. Um, but, yeah, I think it's certainly possible. At the same time, I think we should be able to see the sign of the times. And without being able to be, without claiming to be a prophet or knowing what's coming up, 
you you do see, I mean, our own catechism does say that the glorious coming of the Messiah is suspended until his recognition by all of Israel. That's, That's right. Catechism 674. In the fullness of the Gentiles. Exactly. In, yeah. So based on Romans 9 to 11, especially 11. And so there's also Zechariah, which is very powerful, Zechariah 12.10, which speaks of Jerusalem being surrounded by hostile nations. And in this situation of uh, of Jerusalem becoming a stumbling stone, this is when the house of Judah and the house of Jerusalem look unto me whom they have pierced, mm. says the Lord God. This is 400 and something years before Christ. Yeah. They speak, how does God, how is God pierced? And they will, shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And so, again, we can't know for sure, but uh, divine revelation and the teaching of the church seem to point to a few steps, a return of the Jews to the land, a type of turning of the Jews to their God and their Messiah. And would you say, do we see uh, a wave of Jewish people uh, turning to Jesus as Messiah? We do, in the Messianic Jewish movement, and even a little bit in the Hebrew Catholic community that we see in in Israel. So some would say it's still a trickle, but we're still talking about tens of thousands of of Messianic Jews uh, today. And that's, that's significantly more than, say, 75 years ago. Oh, they were almost zero 75 years ago. Right. So we're talking about a situation of great tribulation of all the nations turning against Jerusalem. And this situation, they somehow, by a sovereign act of divine grace, of divine intervention, somehow they turn to the Lord and recognize he whom they have pierced, uh, to quote the words of, of Zechariah. And so... Again, we have to be prudent, not too reckless in, in making prophecies, but you look at the situation today, oh my goodness, the Jews have returned, they're certainly under great affliction, yep. possibly a, a worldwide conflagration with now not just Hamas, but Hezbollah and Iran, and uh, so we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but divine revelation does give us some guidelines. We can't know for sure, but Jesus says no, no one will know the day of the hour, but he also says, look at the fig tree and recognize the signs of the times. So he's also saying you shouldn't be completely clueless. Right. You shouldn't be overly confident, but you should also have a sense of what's going on historically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that's very well, very well put. Uh, we were talking earlier about this idea of... Um, the covenant, uh, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, still being operative today. Yeah. And while there are many uh, Catholics who now acknowledge that, especially theologians, they acknowledge that the Jewish people have their covenant. They don't see it especially well connected to the New Covenant, which is kind of weird. But um, And so they would be able to affirm that well, yes, we should receive the Jewish people as brothers, etc., etc. Yeah, but they don't necessarily act as though they have any connection to the Jewish people in Israel yeah. right now. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a very disembodied form of love. Yeah. They might say, "Oh, yes, the Jews are brothers and sisters," but we're pro-Jews but anti-Zionist, or we we kind of see. I call it the great disconnect. This disconnect between the Israel of scripture that they see as some kind of a relic that just leads us to Jesus. And then when they go to the Holy Land today, they, most Catholics don't even call it Israel. They all call it a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and they go there as if it's a type of museum. I mean, not now. Pilgrimages are not really working out very well these right. days. At the moment, but yeah. uh, when they, they do go, you know, look at every advertisement for every Catholic pilgrimage. It's always to the Holy Land. Even the word Israel is 
most of the time it's entirely missing from uh, hmm. advertisements to go to the Holy Land. So it points to this disconnect. We hear about Israel thousands of times in the Bible. Palestine, by the way, zero. It's mentioned zero times, right. the word right. Palestine. Oh, that comes from Hadrian? Hadrian, yeah, yeah, second century AD. Even uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, calls it the land of Israel when Jesus returns with the Holy Family from Egypt to the land of Israel. So there's this complete uh, disconnect of Israel and the Bible, nice archaeological remain pointing to Christ, and then today there is the Holy Land, and we love the Jews, but we're not big on this thing of the Jews have their covenant, but never mind the fact that the covenant is inseparable from the land from, of from Israel. Land, right. uh, we're not really going to go there. Yeah. So it's yeah. Not, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, it is awkward because it does put you into... It's hard to do that without getting involved politically, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, so you're, you're saying to yourself, oh, okay... Uh, yeah, I believe that. Does that commit me then to full blanket support for anything the Israeli government does? Yeah. And no, it doesn't commit you to that. Uh, you know, you can have the same critique of uh, policy of uh the Knesset, yeah. as you might have the U.S. Congress, right? Which most Israelis do. Most are extremely <laughs> right. critical of their Knesset and their yeah. government and their prime minister. Yeah. I'd like to, to follow up with that with a quote that uh, drew my attention, because I'm trying to write something about this whole uh, conflict. And a few quotes that really struck me in this situation where so many Catholics are just trying to be morally ambivalent or neutral, or we talked about moral equivalency. Uh, allegedly, Adam Smith said, mercy to the guilty is cruelty to the innocent. Mm. Mercy to the guilty is cruelty to the innocent. And so we look at all those who have been slaughtered. If we just say, let's just call a ceasefire now. I mean, I would love to see a ceasefire, but not at the cost of just a status quo. Hamas doing the same thing again in yeah. one year, you know. Uh, it's Eli Weasel, a, ho a Holocaust survivor, yeah. who said, we must always take sides. Yeah. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. Yeah, yeah. Think about that. Neutrality helps the oppressor, never the victim. So neutrality is not necessarily a morally good position. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. And mm. it's a Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, silence in the presence of evil is itself evil. Yeah. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to yeah. act. And there are certain acts which are intrinsically evil. Right. And no matter what historical grievance one has, no matter what political allegiance one has, uh, you do not target non-combatants. You yeah. don't target civilians. Right. And that that in my mind, that's enough yeah. right now to, to for people to take sides. I'd like to say something more about that. About the and this only got about ten seconds. Oh, okay. Well. Some say, well, this may be a chastisement to true. Israel. Okay. And, you know, it may be true, but I think it's really a bad taste to, to say this. When you see a woman who's been raped, you don't say, well, have you sinned in the past, right? You extend compassion to the victims. You exactly. don't say, well, maybe this is a divine punishment. So mm -hmm. I think Catholics should stay, stay clear from this kind of language. Andre, thanks so much. My pleasure. Yeah. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Finding good health care, encouragement for healthier living, or solid spiritual direction can be frustrating. That's why the Catholic Healthcare Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering a health sharing option. Curo's Christ centered wellness services include Catholic wellness coaching, spiritual direction, and a Catholic community supporting your health and wellness needs. Visit cmfcuro.com to learn more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. 
Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. We listen to all kinds of things, as the Pope says. The radio, the TV, we listen to our phones, all kinds of other messages. But are we silencing ourselves enough that we may listen for God? The other thing we need to do is continue to educate ourselves on the faith. Are we listening to Catholic programming on a regular basis? Are we attending really good, healthy, faith-filled conferences to learn more from those who may be scripture scholars or apologists or maybe just a good talk from a spiritual leader or maybe watching a good video of a wonderful priest such as a Father John Ricardo or a Bishop Barron or someone else? So continue to, as Father John Harden used to say, educate, educate, educate yourself in the Catholic faith. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. I went to Las Vegas years and years ago for one of these cable shows, and, and I was uh, shocked to see all these old ladies in their 70s and 80s getting off that plane, running for a slot machine. You don't have a chance to win. They're all fixed. I know, my uncle used to have slot machines. <laughs> EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Thanking you for being with me. Uh, let me encourage you to go to catholicsforisrael.com. And there, uh, uh, Andre has an outstanding website with wonderful essays, uh, that help clarify many of these things. Um, again, that is catholicsforisrael.com. And, of course, uh, if you go to AveMariaRadio.net in the Cresta Guest Archives, we'll have plenty of follow-up material to my conversation today and also my conversation uh, with Dr. Feingold earlier in the week. So those materials are available. Also, books, uh, Andre's book is in the online bookstore, as well as uh, Dr. Feingold's. So uh, head on over to AveMariaRadio.net and uh, take advantage of the resources that we have available for you to go uh, a little deeper into this. And this is actually an important time to do that, because there's so much misunderstanding and lack of clarity here. There's so much historical amnesia that you pay attention to what we're talking about, and you'll know 95%, more than 95% of the people out there. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio, and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A, radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.